Well, well, welcome back to the In the Shadows podcast. I had to take a little time off and impromptu hiatus. Life gets hectic, ducks get out of order, but your girl has gotten past most of the rough shit. This is a soft launch season anyway. This episode is an open letter to the people who have been following this podcast so far. I've gotten about 300 listeners. It's about to be 400 soon, but that is a great start to the first season. I've been getting some much needed feedback and this episode in particular is helped by a couple of good friends of mine. I'm not revealing who wanted me to talk about this, mostly because they did not want to be involved. Surprise! Not everyone wants to be on this podcast just yet. I appreciate these conversations though. The conclusions that we've gotten to and the solutions that you've guys given me, not to mention the fact that they've given me consent to openly produce this episode. First and foremost, thank you so much. Anywho, let's get started. Hello, my name is Kim and you're listening to The Shadows. Topic of discussion, there is no debate in politics, and I will explain why. First, let's start with the nature of debate. Two people take opposing positions, arming themselves with facts. Whoever eloquently explains their position wins, you know, plain and simple. Now, when it comes to politics, however, it takes the same song and dance, except now you get to use people. It's like gambling. Every chip is worth a thousand people, and politicians are the players. I'm just going to say it just to say it, but I really hope you listeners are all aware. Laws and rules doesn't really apply to federal politicians or the rich. It applies to you and the one out of 10,000 who gets picked out of us proposed to be people get away with crimes so frequently because they have money. Crimes happen whether you have money or you don't. It's all in the nature of crime. And crime is separated by economic status and skin color. We're gonna get into that episode. Second season. Keep the pin in that. Facts don't care about your feelings, but the fact of the matter is we cannot separate politics from people. Simple idea, really. If people exist or experience socioeconomic pressures, the anecdotal retelling of experiences of the people speaking is valuable. Their anecdotal evidence is important to discern what is happening to us and whether it's replicable in other areas in our society. Real world quantifiable targets of violence, homophobic, transphobic attacks, and the accurate and credible sources have already deduced that much. I'm not regaling new pieces of evidence, there's no secret. So let's stop pretending that the cops are always doing a good thing. That is a preconceived bias. As a black person, I face a disproportionate amount of scrutiny no matter how many numbers I crunch to reference what I'm referencing. Quite literally, you can search this up and fact check me. Although I strongly do encourage this in my audience base overall, but despite that I have searched for hours about information I want to speak on, and I simply cannot be wrong, it's not an option for me to live in ignorance. My life and the people around me, for that matter, experience racism white people say doesn't exist anymore. And if I pretend it doesn't exist, I can either get ahead or get seriously hurt. Being unaware will kill me. White people do not experience that, and that is a fact. White people can have ignorance and ill-informed opinions. People are killed because of it. I hold no water for thoughts not well fleshed out. Willingly being ignorant is a choice. Wanting others to be just as ill-informed is a choice. And books do not kill people. They share ideas, but the culprit is the reader being unable to contextualize the information being received. Apathetic, short-sighted laws made by people in power are being 
put into action because at every step, many just refuse to look into actual reputable change. Question your own beliefs before you come questioning me. You know, if you actually solve the problems of racial institutions and political injustices, we'd stop talking about racism. We've gotten into this idea that it's too hard and it costs too much to execute efficiently. Like, there is no point of starting. Despite being the most educated and most wealthy country in the world, let me undercut this. By the way, politicians are what the upper 10% looks like. They've convinced themselves there's not enough they can do to fix the issues we're having and all they can do is give us band-aid solutions or say it doesn't exist at all. How about this? Self-reflection and introspection. Talk to the communities. On the ground, change and action. No more bureaucratic nonsense. No more big budget bullshit. With separate councils clamoring for scraps of literal funds to fund personal projects. No more money siphoning pig corporations starting Fortune 500 foundations. The money goes nowhere to no one. So no more. Can I please see a group of politicians where the people enacting change are teams of actual fighters putting a foot in the door in legislation and action actively harming us? I'm very apathetic to the idea of politicians and how politicians work within our current governmental bodies, mostly because it is bureaucratic, complete nonsense. But in a world where we can dream of a dream even as far out as that, I want to see a politician that wants to see the change just as much as the rest of us do and take charge. Take personal responsibility. It's up to all of us to determine how fast we move towards progress. Question, why are universal stressors made political? Why are there groups of people who can be stopped from doing things others are allowed to? Why are my rights made political debate topics? I'm asking these truly as someone who feels this way. Politically, my rights were stripped from me. I never thought that would happen. But of course, no one else is paying attention. I mean, the signs are all there. Yeah, it makes sense why rich white people say things like, ugh, affirmative action just puts underqualified people in Ivy League schools. We know what they mean by underqualified. You know you mean black people. Yeah, they'd say that when they don't work as hard as black people do on average. Not to mention, most of the prestigious schools in America, from Harvard, Duke, and fucking MIT, have a black population under 10% and a legacy rate admission demographic of 46 to 50 percent. So underqualified rich kids from rich families plus other white kids who fought their place and positions in college equals we have to be overqualified regardless to even be considered for the same opportunities as a large majority of Asian and white kids. It's like the paper bag is stapled on the door. You are not a person, you are a product, and we're only putting less than 10% of the effort to include black people in the most prestigious schools and more effort asking why are the ones we let in even here at the first place. I didn't even go to college and I can look this up. Or why owners of fortune 500 companies and that's 500 companies that have created a fortune across the board put more resources into de-unionizing efforts instead of working with the people who make a majority of their money. A 50 cent raise means nothing if I don't have enough money to eat, money to have healthcare, money to pay my bills for my house or money to even start a fam. So it's 
out of the question to even start a family. Meanwhile, CEOs are eating lobster for the fifth time this year, getting unlimited vacations and having enough time to have a family. Babies are expensive. That's why I'm not having one until things are stabilized economically. If we even get to that point, adults, I'm not trying to take your job away. I'm trying to take away the siphoning agent that is budgeting to give the CEO this much bonus when we could have been giving that bonus to everyone else in the company. The company you work for pays people more to approve company decisions from the executive position up. You're being swindled. If you were being paid salary or by the hour, you're being paid to do work other people don't want to do. And it goes all the way down to even the lowest level. You should get a raise because then you're spending most of your time working than you are doing the things that you need to do to learn. There is no balance. From the executive position down, you're essentially expendable. So why not unionize? On another note, anti-immigration laws create stagnation in areas in our economy that need the most help. If immigrants are taking jobs even poor Americans don't want, it's not their fault. But if you follow the history we come to find out, the US government has been involved in destabilizing entire countries for corporate profit. Banana Republic, Domingo Sugar, the history of Cuba. Then the people who suffered go where their resources are being siphoned off to, not mentioning laws exploiting immigrants and migrant status people so they can't unionize. I can go on and on about how dehumanizing people in politics and political conversations hurts real lives, but I don't think I'm even treated as a person even speaking now. So let me tell you, listeners, about my life. I didn't want to make this all about me, for my experiences are not the only sources of information I'm pulling from. My experiences are one of many. Talk to your immigrant friends or friends with immigrant families. Just to shed a light on what my life has brought me up to this point, I come from a Haitian family. My parents are US citizens and many of them work in the healthcare industries. Hospitals, prison, clinics, what have you, were here. I started speaking Creole at two years old. When I went to pre-K, I stopped speaking it entirely because I was treated like I was stupid by teachers and students alike, refusing to speak it at all. It was too embarrassing, I was too much of a weirdo, too ostracized. I grew up with white people questioning my family if they faked my documents to go to elementary school. My mother gave birth to me here in America, and despite having my birth certificate and social security card, the questions still persist. In the third grade, I recognized the pattern we had in our classrooms. Little black boys were always the quote-unquote bad kids put in the back corner and receiving more principal visits and one-on-one help. I thought I was smarter, better than them because I was a good Catholic girl. Then Obama was inaugurated, making the end of racism here in America after 42 years. The civil rights era fixed America. Thanks, MLK. And that nigga Malcolm X. See what peaceful protesting does. You too can change the world if you just follow the rules. In the fifth grade, I was the only black kid darker than a paper bag in my class. I was the bad kid. On the first day, I was yelled at by my teacher for speaking out of turn. Ask why I kept asking stupid questions. Even when I was trying to be funny, I could hear the condescension in their voice. I acted out more. I was 10. I adhered to what others expected of me. I was treated like I was stupid, so I gave up and gave stupid answers, only to reinforce the same beliefs from teachers and peers. I got disciplined more at home and at school. I got pulled out of classrooms for my dress being too short, even though I wore leggings under it. I wanted to kill myself before I turned 11. My teacher caught that, and it 
finally stopped. My peers stopped treating me like I was infected. Then I moved to Miami, switched to a dominantly black middle school, still carrying white sensibilities. In middle school, I couldn't thrive because I went from a well-off school to a school so underfunded our textbooks were falling apart. So I thought, well, this is how a black group of people is supposed to be. Like, this is how black people in America are. We're poor. They had a charter school, however, right next door. It was on the building premises. Five years, brand new. ACs, computers, much nicer bathrooms. That's where most of the resources were put into, actually. I took a tour of it when I was in the sixth grade because my teachers thought if they showed us what our hardwood could do, we'd get new textbooks. Most of the kids there were white, and the lucky few black kids recognized that this is a game at an early age, so whiten up. If you get A's, we'll take you out of this failing school. That's kind of the message that I got at least. There were kids with straight A's sitting right next to me, completely left behind by the public school we were in, because they didn't act white enough for the charter school. I failed classes, but but the opportunity to go to summer school was the safety net. I knew at that point I was really smart. So did my family. They did not know that the educational environment wasn't helping me though. In summer school, I got A's. I was an online class kid. I went to school like I think one time when I was going to summer school. I went to a school that mostly white kids went to and it held summer school programs. So it was great. Mostly black kids from neighboring middle schools like mine went to this high school because their computer computers and they had new textbooks and they had teachers willing to do so. Although I will say many of the teachers in the public school system in the area that I was living in inspired me to read and write and love history more than I gave them credit for. In high school, I went back to a predominantly white institution because I was acting too black and my family kind of recognized that. In high school, I struggled with my identity as a black girl and surviving in a white institution. I went to school with a bunch of racists. So what other choices did I have? I played a role of a poor, stupid black girl again, but this time I can code switch. Mm, mildly. I became one of those black girls that really wanted to be treated like I mattered, so I started picking up some racist and pick-me attitudes. Thank you, Grey's Anatomy, Twilight, Toxic Ideals of Womanhood, the self-conscious environment of white kids talking about black people all the time, Christian Service Club, let's not forget about you, and our health and PE class, ROTC, short, sweet, neatly pressed bits of history completely embellishing most of America's actual history established as the correct form of history, and let's not forget the uncomfortable environment where facts and opinions are synonymous with healthy debate and adult conversation. I mean, yeah, a few teachers provided great lessons to learn, and I did like the environment that we were in being mm, kind of internal, not really, it was pretty conservative. Of the teachers that I learned from, always use references to back up your claim, but the code of conduct and demeanor somehow superseded the true purpose of the political discussion. I shit you not, like I was told to stand up and do my presentation and look professional more than the information that was coming out of my mouth. Presentation overall was how you did politics. People won't listen to you if you didn't look presentable. It is mostly because of how white people were introduced and socialized to be in political spaces. Not like what we're doing right now. Having candid conversations like we're having across a table or me sitting with you having coffee. Getting back into the story, white kids argued with me that nigga and nigger are two different things and that if it's okay for me to say it, then it's okay for 
them to say and they can wear their confederate flags on their belts and boots and its heritage it's all a matter of opinion fuck your opinion let's walk this back the opinions of most teachers and peers were that i was somehow deserving of being treated as an object negatively affecting my environment because of the identifiers that i sometimes wear as a badge of honor but in most cases they identify the unique ways i may be targeted in everyday society i was seen as someone who needed to be changed or removed in order for others and myself to succeed but really for others to succeed my existence was harming the class while the class was harming my sense of self so much so that i attempted to kill myself in my closet when i was 10. i didn't have a choice but to experience these things firsthand i'm not going to excuse and ignore every way racist ideas made my life a living hell from pre-k to high school because it's their opinion they can choose who to sit with who to have friends with who to give the most resources to and that's an opinion and that's a bullshit opinion it regurgitates harm within in our society and I would like to combat that and no it's not a political stance it's not an identifier on which you gotta stand for it's either right or wrong at this point but that's on a greater scale in this area we can determine what is bad and what is good in other areas we can determine what is bad and what is good I'm sick of having this conversation with people who don't want to listen the facts are right there in front of you the evidence is right there in front of you and it's co-opted by anecdotal experiences it's no longer a matter of opinion in my adult life I've found more instances of people who adhere to white supremacy completely absolving instances of racism happening in their environment because of opinions and respecting their not my protection apparently it's more important to protect their freedom to hurt me than it is to protect me from their hurt from their harm because you don't see the harm in that that's not an opinion that's absolving yourself of the responsibility of making sure other people in your environment are safe yeah, you're not a cop, but you're also right here, right next to me, experiencing or just watching my experience unfold in front of you. This is what I gotta deal. Can someone give me a helping hand as a person to person who knows at one point or another, you don't want this to happen to you. That's the issue with racism, at least. Sexism, transphobia, what have you. But people who can't step into other people's shoes will not empathize for some ungodly reason. Here are a couple of questions for my audience. You guys can contact me on the link tree. The email is always open. We also have the Facebook page up and ready. I do have to work on the advertising for that one though. I do have the TikTok also open, but we don't really post that much on there because I still am figuring out the marketing on that point. Soft launch season. I swear, soft launch season. And maybe at one point I'm going to start a Patreon or start live streaming. We're only in September. Anywho, a couple of questions. Freedom of speech to say what exactly? Is it important to call someone a series of actual slurs instead of protecting the person who's receiving those slurs in any given space? Where is the line for you when it comes to harm being done? Whose words do you value and see mostly? Whose words do you not value or not see at all? Whose words in general but personally to you? You as the speaker, whose words do you value? From what perspective are they speaking from? What was the goal of the conversation of the speaker themselves? What were they trying to get you to understand? What's the takeaway from that message even? Incredibly deep intrusive thoughts kind of questions. Anywho, I like to read. 
At one point or another, I am gonna live stream me reading out these questions and actively having like live conversations, but that's when we become bigger than better. Back to the conversation at hand. I like reading books with human oppressed characters where the white kids can play pretend, put themselves in our shoes. Fictionally, the dream of fictional liberators in fictional settings is off-putting to me. Yet for some reason, said white kids can't find it in themselves to find real-world solutions to real-world issues that are affecting real-world people. Which brings me to the point of this episode. Opinions are like preferences. I just made that opinion political and it has no reason to be political but that's simply my opinion that is so personal to me <laughs> like i don't care that people are reading books like this it's great that it inspires other people and other people have different takeaways on that but once again opinions are like preferences and when you say preferences and applying that to people it's i'd rather see in the commonplace that's what it really is for others to behave in a way that makes the common folk more comfortable rather than the idea of mind your business I mean, to put it bluntly, it's either be presentable or do not exist in this area at all. That's the idea. I mean, let me put it this way. These are the groups that we say don't be presentable at all or don't be in existence at all. And I'm not just talking about black people. It's, it's way deeper than just that. Here's the quiet part they're not saying out loud. When they think of gay people, they can't stop thinking of and picturing gay sex. When they think of women, they think or or mother-to-be. Sliding scale is innocence to proximity to whiteness, so let's desexualize the gays and every woman should strive to be mothers and wives. It's not acceptance, it's not tolerance, it's cut pieces of yourself so I, the other individual speaking on behalf of their opinions, would rather see of a group they don't even belong to. In the history of the queer community, I understand now we are pretty open about the processes in which we operate. All bodies, all sexualities, all genders exist in this space because of the expectations of cis and heteronormativity. The queer community had to adapt all throughout history in a lot of parts of the world. And if you look even further back, there's even more areas in which men, women, and non-binary folks, trans folks, have been dragged in the street and killed. And we're still feeling that. Not acknowledging the history that queer people have gone through to present day muddies the water on how far we've come. With solidarity and the unity within the queer community, we are able to push towards a society truly accepting of everyone's private life and do not want to revert back to the time when the CIAS assassinated people in the 1970s. Oops, I slipped in a little interesting history. Please do look that up. It says queer people just came about recently. Keep looking back and looking for queer history. You'll keep finding queer people. You'll keep finding trans men and trans women in society. It was differently represented, but in the 1930s we had established schools that did gender and sexuality studies that actually involved queer people based in Germany. That's the library that was burned down. That was the first book burning event and now we're banning books. The queer community had to adapt from many of atrocities and most recently it was the AIDS epidemic. That's when the queer community really started to feel the oppressive pressures of being 
gay and outed persecuted so it's being trans and being ace that are in the shadows at that point there was just an entire society of sexual minorities just looked upon as a plight on human society during the 70s and 80s women however got a nail in the heels because white women kept crossing the picket line it's harder to identify with feminism because there are two factions within feminist groups white feminism aligns themselves with wanting the same social and economic powers white men have they also want extraneous protections on their idea of womanhood we're either props to show how nice and cool they are or we're in their way it is gaslight girl boss keep it pushing and fuck the rest of us really which then reinforced racist and sexist violence towards intersectional feminists everyone else women fighting for bodily autonomy and to exist outside of the control look and comment and violence of men that also includes trans women every woman's perspective is important men however you'll get your own episode entirely thank you to the black plus queer people kicked out and priced out of white cis heteronormative conferences in the 80s apparently we're not women i'm sorry we're not white performative women who can and will drop the movement to be taken care of surprise when you're in feminist groups you can recognize that when you're not in feminist groups everyone looks like a dyed hair wannabe when we have conversations about politics i've noticed that yet again there are two sides of the conversation people who actively think about how political conversations can and will impact people's lives and people who only want to maintain their serenity from mystical mayhem and disorder empathy and apathy but apathy can become empathy empathy can also become apathy if you just continuously want ignorance on your plate if their views can change when they apply critical thinking to the information they're referencing and adequately challenge their own beliefs so their arguments are built with strong factual foundations with beliefs actually rooted in the real world we just might come to conclusions that won't hurt anybody oh and don't forget the context of the information or the point of view to piece it all together there's no such thing as it's up for debate or up for public opinion that's something white people say to be racist straight people say to be homophobic and assholes say to deflect that they'll never really looked into what they have opinions on being ignorant and ill-informed is not an identity if all it takes is a few conversations with marginalized groups to actually understand what's the issue what's the issue the issue is that i walk through this world differently well some people and we can see who those some people are can walk through social hierarchies with ease me and a whole lot of people have to struggle and suffer only to reach the supposed glass ceiling with every stride of greatness we crack and crack the status quo only for the survivors to wind up shredded to pieces and broken regurgitating the hurt and pain they've experienced or teaching the lessons they really thought they learned oftentimes it's corrupted idealizing the totem pole they wish to be on one day you will never be white so stop trying to be that's my grievances with american society the issue is that white people can ramble on about fears they do not experience or generally made up they do not have evidence for those fears or by comparison there's not enough evidence for their claim to hold up in actual debate but there is enough support for their claim support i.e 
with each other and their surroundings will contort themselves to make sure they the white person are safe with the acknowledgement of what they say to be the truth to be the truth they can be ignorant by choice and that won't get them killed i'm sick of having conversations with people not looking for solutions i'm sick of coming to these conclusions by myself and that's just how politically we kind of move in the black community we move as a unit we talk extensively about politics in this kind of candid way for our survival so please sit down shut up and have open ears and an open mind to what a wide majority of us are experiencing i get it poor white but you're poor and white and that's it you're not poor if you move towards the places that have better and bigger resources you will succeed and i will be questioned sincerely kim thank you all for hearing me out hearing this episode thank you for hearing thank you to the wide majority of people who are supporting me and thank you to the majority of people who are criticizing where i should move my voice and yes i'm looking back at my older episodes as dramatic i know it was the start of the year but i was very ambitious you live and you learn and i'm still fighting my footing i appreciate every single person who has come up to me on this one this one specifically this podcast episode was inspired by having conversations with my friends about opinions and politics being a debate it feels like a sport it feels like there's points that is the end of the episode go outside breathe some air drink some tea love your friends and have these kind of conversations please do ask them about that ask them the questions i asked you see where it may take you it might even broaden our perspectives